number 431 in the Psalter hymnal. As we prepare to hear God's word this morning, number 431, this setting of the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we're going to sing verses 1 and 6 and 10. Verse 6, do not our trespasses record, but freely pardon them, dear Lord. As we who by thy grace must live, our debtors' trespasses forgive. Yea, cleanse our hearts from every stain in him who on the cross was slain. We'll sing verse 1 and verse 6 and verse 10 of 431. Let's stand together as we sing. This morning, God's Word comes to us from the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 5. We are going to begin our reading today at chapter 5, verse 1, and then read through chapter 6, verse 7. Leviticus 5, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. 
If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash vow to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and if it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And he shall bring them to the priest, who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial portion and burn this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest as a grain offering. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it, and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandment ought not be done, Though he did not know it, then he realizes his guilt. He shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he has made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. 
He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and realized his guilt, and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the thing, lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Psalter hymnals to page 62 in the back. Page 62, this is the Heidelberg Catechism, and on the bottom half of that page is Lord's Day 51. We will read that together this morning. I'll read the question, and you may respond with the answer. From page 62, Lord's Day 51, question 126. What does the fifth request mean? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors' means. Because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do, or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined, as evidence of your grace in us, to forgive our neighbors. Well, we are moving on in our study of the Lord's Prayer and quickly coming to the end of that study and the next week, the end of our study of the Heidelberg Catechism uh, for this time. Uh, we come this morning to a beautiful petition in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. A petition that deals with the forgiveness of our sins. Is there any more wonderful thing for a believer to hear than that he or she has been forgiven? All of our sins, all of our debts taken away. The beauty of what Christ has done for us. He has washed us. He has cleansed us. He has forgiven us. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We do this by looking at a text from Leviticus. Now, I know that uh, Leviticus is probably not the first book you turn to when you're dealing with your daily devotions, and perhaps this text not the first text you would turn to when talking about the forgiveness of sins. But it's a beautiful text. The book of Leviticus deals with the theme of holiness and how we can be seen as holy before God. And that comes through the forgiveness of our sins. When we are washed, when we are cleansed, when our sins are removed from us, God now sees us as 
holy. The book of Leviticus, not necessarily an easy book, with its descriptions of the various offerings and feasts. But in a text like this, we see something of the richness of what Christ has done for us. These Old Testament sacrifices point forward to the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a wonderful thing for us to say, Christ has forgiven us for all our sins. But what does that mean? There is a depth to that statement. There is a richness to that statement. And the Old Testament sacrificial system gives us clues, gives us hints, gives us pictures of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Yes, He is the one who takes away all our sins. He is the one who answers the prayer, forgive us our debts, because of what He has done. This is the beautiful petition we look at this morning. The first thing we notice is the, the fullness of our forgiveness. Look at chapter 6. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, if he's oppressed his neighbor, if he's found something lost, if he's lied about it, if he's sweared falsely, in any of these things, he can be forgiven. All these sins that he commits can be covered by the blood of Christ. Now, we know that all sin, any sin, is sufficient to condemn us as guilty before God. Any sin is sufficient to demonstrate our guilt. But it's easy for us to, to tend to categorize our sin. Some sins are really big sins, and some sins are just, just little things that we do. Some sins, perhaps, are easier for God to give, and some are harder for God to forgive. All sins are sufficient to condemn us before God. And by His grace, all sins, whether we consider them easy or hard, big or little, all sins are forgiven by God. He forgives everything that we do, every offense against Him, every challenge to His holy law. Any sin that we confess, any sin from which we repent, we can be forgiven. And that theme runs through this section, chapter 5, verse 10. And the priest shall make atonement <clears throat> for him for the sin he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Chapter 13, uh, verse 13, Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. Verse 16, He shall come and make restitution, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram or the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. Again in verse 18, he shall bring up to the priest a ram without blemish, and he shall be forgiven. Chapter 6, verse 7. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby 
become guilty. All our sins, every sin, forgiven because of the blood of the sacrifice. Every sin washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. God does not say, look, I'll forgive these sins because they're kind of easy to forgive, but these ones, I'm sorry you're stuck with. Jesus' blood is sufficient to cover over each and every sin that we commit, each and every sin which we confess, each and every sin from which we repent. The fullness of our, forgi of our forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. Even sins perhaps we were unaware of. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. If anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, that means he didn't know he did it, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, and it is hidden from him, he didn't know, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash vow, a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath, if it is hidden from him and he comes to know it and realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt and confesses his sin, he will be forgiven. Maybe there are sins we commit in ignorance. Perhaps as we were young, or we are young in the faith, and we didn't know certain things were an offense against God, sins committed, we might say, without our knowledge. Even those are forgiven by the blood of Christ. Sins we committed, we might say, unintentionally. Christ's blood covers and washes us from them. Or, this one about the oath is so interesting. He utters an, uh, an oath and doesn't realize it. It's hidden from him. That is, his speech has become so casual, he doesn't even realize his speech is an offense against God. It's become so common for him to commit this sin. doesn't even see it anymore. This too can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. All those things we do, all those things we do intentionally, unintentionally, Christ's blood covers all our sins, everything we do. Even those things we leave undone. Chapter 5, verse 1. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. If someone doesn't do something that they should do, they are guilty. We call those sins of omission. Those things that we should do, but we fail to do. These two can be forgiven. Do we think about sin that way? Do we confess sin that way? Confess to God those things we have left undone, those areas in our life in which we are lacking. Forgive us, O God, for not honoring your name, 
Forgive us, O God, for not honoring your day. Forgive us, O God, for not speaking up for you, for not sharing Jesus Christ with others. Forgive us for what we have not done. These two, these sins of omission, covered by the blood of Christ. Every sin we commit, every sin we omit, all of them washed, cleansed, covered by Christ's blood. And, and beyond even that, beyond the beauty of having our sin taken away, the guilt for sin is removed as well. That's verse 14 through 19. Look at the last half of verse 16. He shall bring, uh, the priest shall make atonement for him and the ram of a guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. Again, verse 19, it is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. Not only is our sin removed, but the guilt for our sin is removed. Now, guilt can be a good thing. If we are not confessing our sin, if we are becoming hardened in our sin, that sense of guilt may be that which drives us to confession. Guilt can be a good thing. But once we have confessed, and once we have been forgiven, not only is the sin gone, but the guilt is gone as well. How often, how often don't we continue to want to hold ourselves responsible? Oh, we know God has forgiven us, but we still have this sense of guilt for what we have done. We are not to minimize the work of Christ. His forgiveness is so complete, is so full, is so beautiful that not only is our sin removed, but the guilt for that sin is removed as well. We do not have to live with guilt and shame. Decisions we have made either recently or in the past, we do not have to live with the guilt. Christ's sacrifice removes all our sin. The complete forgiveness. Both the sins we have committed and left undone and the guilt for those washed away by the blood of Christ. This is the beauty of our forgiveness in Him. How does that forgiveness take place. Again, we get that picture in the Old Testament sacrificial system. The person is guilty. That's very clear. The person's guilty. He has sinned. But the person isn't killed for their sin. The person is called to bring something else in their place. Something else which stands for them. Look at chapter 5, verse 5. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin he has committed, 
a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. He shall bring something else as his compensation. There is a substitution that is made. The man isn't killed, but he brings something of value. He brings part of his livestock. There's a cost that has to be paid. Forgive us our debts. Speaks of a cost. So this, this, this man would bring this offering of the animal, of the goat, of the lamb, because it cost him something to pay the price for his sins. And yet we see in this substitution and this cost that had to be paid, God even here is so gracious. Because he goes on and says in verse 7, If he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord, as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves or two pigeons. In other words, the removal of sin is not just for the rich not only for those who can afford it. But if he is unable to bring this particular offering, God says, you can still be washed. You can still be cleansed. Bring this instead. Bring the birds instead. And in the birds, we have this, this rather ugly picture of what happens to them. He shall take them to the priest and he shall offer one for a sin offering. He shall wring its neck from its, its head from its neck and not sever it completely and shall sprinkle the blood. A terrible picture of the ugliness of sin and the pain of the offering. Now this bird being brought and yet necessary, a necessary substitution because there's a cost to our sin. And then, amazingly, God's even more gracious. Look at verse 11. If he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. Flour. Flour for bread, the most basic staple of life. Forgiveness is for everyone. If he, if he can bring the lamb, bring the lamb. If he can't afford that, bring the birds. If he can't afford that, then the most base thing that we have, flower, even that is sufficient. The fullness of God's forgiveness, not just for all of our sins, but for everyone. For everyone who confesses. And there is atonement that is made. Atonement that points to the work of Jesus Christ, the one who is a substitute, the one who went to the cross for us. We should have been nailed there. We should have hung there. But he, he stepped in. He took our place. Our sins were laid on him. He is our substitute. His blood is shed that we might have life. The cost for our forgiveness. It cost the life of the eternal Son of God, a sacrifice of infinite value that we might be forgiven. And that, that offering, that sacrifice on the cross of Jesus Christ for everyone 
who confesses, for everyone who believes in him, not just for a certain segment of the people, but for all of us. All of us who confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that is the call that goes out again today. Put your faith, put your hope, put your trust in him. He is your substitute. He is your sacrifice. He has paid your cost. Embrace this Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. And know the assurance when we pray, forgive us our debts, that our debt has been wiped clean because of what Christ has done. Our confession regarding this petition, because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us because of Christ's blood, because of what he has done. In this text on offerings and forgiveness, we have this section about making restitution. Knowing that one is forgiven and one is cleansed, there's a, there's a response that, that, that comes from that. Chapter 5, verse 14. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish of the flock, valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. He shall make restitution. Because God has forgiven him, he will now want to do something. Again from chapter 6, verse 4, If he has sinned and he realized his guilt and will, he, and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. There is this desire to do something, to make it right to make restitution because they've been forgiven. And in that, we get something of a sense into the second half of this petition. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is sometimes misunderstood as if our forgiveness of others is the ground of God forgiving us. That is not the case. Just the other way around. Because we have been forgiven by God, as evidence of that truth, we now desire to be forgiving of others. This is our confession. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Forgive us as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace. When we know the forgiveness of God, a complete forgiveness, a total forgiveness of all the things we have done, the things we have not done, the removal of the guilt, when that reality sets in, 
We are then those who become forgiving. We will be willing to ask others for forgiveness, and we will certainly be willing to forgive when asked. This is the natural response. This is the most obvious response to we who've been forgiven everything by God. Who are we to hold something against our brother or our sister? This is the evidence that we understand forgiveness. God has done everything necessary, removing all of our sins. How can we hold? sins against one another. This is the prayer that we pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. May God help us to, to understand the fullness of what He has done, the complete work of Jesus Christ, removing from His sight every offense every omission, removing from our own hearts even the guilt of what we have done. And when that, when that reality sets in, may we become forgiving, forgiving of others, willing to ask forgiveness, willing to give forgiveness as evidence that we know what our God has done. He has forgiven our debt. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, great and glorious, we say, how can we begin to thank you for what you have done? How can we begin to express our gratitude to you for removing all our iniquities, all our transgressions, every sin? How can we begin to thank you and you have told us, we can begin by being forgiving. Lord God, help us to embrace the work of Jesus Christ, to embrace the fullness of what he has done. And may that glorious truth help us in our lives to live in a way that is at peace with those around us, forgiving and being forgiven as evidence that we have been forgiven by you. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.